be seated. At this time, if we've got children that would like to go to children's ministry, they can exit right out the back there. There is. You'll see the group of them going. I'm so thrilled that we have that for them. I know they're thrilled as well. Not that they wouldn't want to stay and listen to me. The rest of you go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 28. If you would, please. I will say one other thing that I did not mention during announcements. Our son, Javen, is at home sick, and he's been sick for several days now. So if you guys would pray for him, we'd really appreciate that. He's supposed to go back to school this week uh, over in Missouri on Wednesday, Thursday, one of them, Thursday. He's supposed to go back on Thursday. And uh, anyway, it'd be really good if he wasn't sick. So he feels awful, so that's why he missed out on the party last night, and he's missing church today, and he's not been going to work, so, um, I mean, he's been off for a few days, so, anyway, so just uh, be praying for Javen if you would. I would, Bethany and I would really appreciate that. Well, this morning, what we're going to do, this is going to be maybe a little bit different than what you're used to me doing, and I think that's okay, but for the next few weeks, we're going to take a deeper look at where we're headed as a church, and what we need to be doing as a church that seeks to be driven by the gospel and faithful to the biblical model of a local church, at least as faithful to it as we can be, okay? We're not going to probably hit the ideal, but we're going to shoot for that. We're going to aim for it. Um, You could call it a state of the church or a mission and vision recalibration if you want, uh, but each year, I think it's important and healthy for us as a church to recenter on who we are and, and what we're doing and what what it is what it is we're doing here, so to speak. Um, after I finish with that, just to kind of give you a preview of what's coming up in the rest of the winter and spring months, is after I finish talking about that, then I'm going to go into a series through the book of Nehemiah. And so I've been planning that since uh, I went away at the end of last summer, and um, I'm actually really excited to get going on that. But right now, we're going to look specifically at what our church is supposed to look like and be doing, and we're going to take our marching orders, as we should in all things, from the scriptures. And we're going to be looking at various scriptures, beginning in Matthew 28 a little bit later. This week will likely be a reminder of some things that I've shared in years past about the mission and vision of our church. So if this sounds familiar, good, you were listening. (laughs) It should sound familiar to you. But before I get going, let me pray. Father God, as we come to this time of looking at our church compared with the church in your word, Help us to calibrate our hearts around your word, not around the world's principles, not around what we think works in business, not around what some other church does, but let us calibrate ourselves solely around your word, Jesus. And when we see ourselves out of line, help us repent quickly and run back to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Let me ask you this question. How often do you think about your future? Do you ever think about your future? You know, I'm getting a little older. I'm only 44. I'll be 45 in March. 
but I do think about things, especially in the winter. When I'm 75, do I still want to be shoveling snow? No, I, no, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, at 45, I don't want to be shoveling snow, but I'm going to be probably. All right? You know, I, I think about the future some. You know, like I look at, you know, some of us look at our retirement accounts and we think, I'm going to have to work till I'm 115, right? Uh, so we think about our future some. Maybe some people don't. Young people may or may not. just depends on how you're talking about that. But how often do you think about the future of our church? Do you ever dream about what our church looks like in 10 or 15 years? Don't call it out, obviously, but what do you think about when you think about the future of Hope Bible Fellowship? See, many of those of us sitting in this room have had their lives changed by an encounter with God that was in some way facilitated through the ministry of this church. And I think sometimes we, we come to church week after week, we go through the motions of doing church and everything we need to do, and we fail to think about or dream about what things could look like. Uh, my friend Tom Hufty has a sort of life statement that he tries to live by, and uh, most people who are close to him, um, I'm not, I'm not like super close to him. He's just he's a friend. He's someone I've known since I was in college, and um, so he's a friend. But he has a statement. Most people who have been around him or listened to him speak or anything can probably tell you what this statement is that he kind of lives by. It's good. It encompasses every part of the way that I think we should live as a church, and it's this. Live to touch a day I will never see. Tom will say that. He'll say, I want to live to touch a day I will never see. Now that sounds kind of like, well, yeah, of course. It sounds kind of um, maybe even unspiritual when you think about it, but here's what I see in this statement for us as a church. It's recognizing and affirming that we are not working for our own good, but working for the glory of God, so that in the years that are beyond what we will ever experience, the glory of God and the truth of the gospel will be known here in Dixon, and that there will be people who have not even been born yet who will be serving the Lord in Dixon because of what goes on here now. We should not be trying to make something solely for ourselves in the here and now, but also for those who come after, for future generations, for the little ones who are in that nursery right now, for the little ones who are in children's worship, for their kids. I've noticed a lot of people, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed a lot of people who live in Dixon end up, as kids in Dixon, end up as adults in Dixon as well. Now, some towns, they don't get that so much. People move away. They don't really come back that much. But I've noticed people come back here. And so it's likely that we will have an opportunity for this church to someday be filled with the children of the children who are back there now. That we'll have an opportunity for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids to pass through those doors as well. And so as we look forward to where we're going, we're going to begin to throw around words like mission, mission statement, vision, all these others. And those two words, mission and vision in particular, I think get vastly misunderstood in church. 
we've brought so many business practices into the church and it's easily to get really turned around if we're not careful we begin focusing on everything except for the main thing i don't really like business talk okay uh church marketing makes me a little sick to my stomach okay i don't really like that being brought into the church because I think in many ways it misses the point entirely. Yes, I know, we are on social media, we do post ads, all of that, yes. And those are things I think we should do, yes. But what I'm saying is, when we bring in that business talk to the church, it misses the point entirely. And I want to get to the, what the Word says about what we need to look at, what we need to be about as our mission as a church and as individual people. And then the vision for how we're going to get there. So before we, before we get there, we're going to get there in just a second, but I want to talk about and kind of define or put parameters on what I'm talking about when I say mission and vision, because um, I don't see, when I say mission, a lot of people think, oh, well, getting on a plane and going to a foreign country like uh, Tyler Harrison does and, and telling people about Jesus there. That's not what I'm talking I'm not talking about missions. I'm talking about our mission. And then with vision, I say vision, a lot of people think that, uh, well, the vision for the church, the pastor, you know, went, went to bed one night and had this dream and saw all this stuff that we were supposed to be. That is not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Let's start with mission. The mission is what we're about. It's what we're aiming to do. And it stays the same through different times and places. The mission stays the same through different times and places. Our mission doesn't change. This is what we are here as a church to do. It's what Jesus put the church on earth to do. Think of mission as the what. What are we doing? What is our aim? What is our goal? What is the end game? How do we look and go, did we do what we set out to do? What is that thing by, by which we would answer that question? So the mission is the what. Now, on the vision. If the mission is the what, then the vision is the how. The vision is, how do we accomplish the mission? It's a vision for who we are in order to accomplish that mission. Vision changes to align with particular times and places. The way we accomplished the mission in 1954, before this church was ever around, by the way, uh, and how we accomplished the mission in 2023, the vision for how that's accomplished might change a little bit based on the culture we find ourselves in. But the message, the, the mission and the message stays the same. But the vision may change. The vision is how we accomplish that mission. This raises a couple of important questions. As we answer these important questions, we're going to be forced to answer some other questions that are associated with them. Don't you love that when someone asks a question and you answer the question and it just raises more questions? Or, or better yet, when you ask a question and someone answers you with a question. Isn't that fun? In many cases, serving the mission of the church actually will cause us to have to change our vision of the way that mission is accomplished. So we have this, uh, this process or vision or way that I'll get to in a little bit that we're going to accomplish our mission. That may change. It may be tweaked 
in 10 years. It may be tweaked in five years because there may be something that needs to be added or incorporated to help us better meet that mission goal. So let's get to that. What is our aim? What is our mission? What is our aim? What is our end goal? Let me share a story with you about why I think it's important to have a mission or an end goal. Um, Generally, I like to go for walks by myself. Like if I want to go for a walk or if I want to like, especially if I'm doing it for exercise, like I just want to be alone, okay? Especially if there's going to be like, I just don't want anybody talking to me. I just want to put on my audio book or my podcast or my music or whatever and just let me go. Uh, Bethany and I used to live in a parsonage in East Peoria and we lived um, next to a bike path that went from East Peoria all the way down, down into the, by the river. I mean, it went forever and it went all the way out to Morton. And, um, I recall one stretch of time. So Bethany would get up in the morning and walk and I would get up in the morning sometimes and walk with her. And I remember one stretch where there were five days in one week, we woke up and I begrudgingly got out the door onto the bike path. I slowly walked two miles with her, holding her back because She's much shorter than me, but for some reason we have the same inseam, and I have not yet figured out how. So I begrudgingly get out the door, walk on the bike path two miles. Each day I walked with her until the street that marks about one mile from our house, then we turn around and walk back. Now I've walked and jogged by myself before, but when I would set out with a goal, a target, or, or a destination in mind, I would walk there, I would turn around, and I would come back. However, if I left my house, just headed out for a walk, and I didn't have a previously determined where that I was headed, or how long I was going to go or be gone, I would likely, very likely, decide I'd get part way, I'm close enough, I'm too tired, and I'd turn off the path early, or turn around and head back. I'd get too tired or I decide I just don't have time to make my goal. The, the idea is what I'm getting at here is we need to have something we're trying to accomplish, something we're aiming at. We need to have a target in mind or we will miss it every time. Um, think of this as the checklist principle. If you don't make a list of the stuff that you need to do and you just try to remember it in your mind, very likely you're not going to get it all done because you're going to forget something, right? But there's a dopamine hit we get in our brains chemically from checking off a box on a to-do list. It's crazy the way it works, right? Even in uh, getting uh, my oil changed this week, I took Bethany's car over to Take 5 in Sterling to get the oil changed. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Take 5. That's where we used to go at East Peoria all the time. And you stay in your car, and they change your oil. So it's awesome. They bring you a bottle of water. It's great. And... But you have your window down so you can hear the things that are being said back and forth to the techs working on your car. And they get something done, and then they holler it out. Okay? So, uh, same, same plug, same filter. And then you hear another guy. Same plug, same filter. Another guy. Same plug, same filter. They have a process by which they do it. They want to make sure that they accomplish their goal, that they get to the aim of making sure everything is done right. And so they have this thing and they call out. I haven't figured it all out yet. But I think they call out what they just finish or what they just check. And I think everybody in the place has to answer back. Because the idea is to 
get, some of you are really scared that I'm going to start doing that with our mission and make you guys call out stuff. I'm not, okay? At least not yet, all right? So, so let's look at what mission we're trying to accomplish. Matthew chapter 28. It's probably going to be real familiar to some of you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless it. This passage is familiar to some of you, but maybe to some of you it's brand new. But let's take a look at what it says on a real basic level. Jesus had directed his followers to go to the mountain. They saw him. This is the resurrected Christ. They saw him and worshiped. There were some who were there who doubted. I like that they just kind of slipped that in, that, that, that Matthew slips that in. That, yeah, they worshipped, but some doubted. This is an amazing statement in and of itself. Jesus comes near to them, and he gives them what throughout the years and years, thousands of years of church history since, has become known as the Great Commission, okay? He gives them a mission. He gives them a job, okay? He tells them to go. And as they are going, they are to make disciples of all nations. That's pretty inclusive of all ethnicities, all peoples. He then tells them to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, for many churches, it's like they stopped reading there. Many churches were content to get someone to walk down an aisle and into the baptismal waters. And then, I don't know what happens after that. It's part of the reason why, according to a study, one major group of churches, one major denomination in the United States, uh, finds something like 14.8 million people who are considered members of local churches... But on a given Sunday, there are only about 5.3 million in the pews in that denomination. So there's been a misplacing of about 9 million people who have made some kind of commitment or uh, statement of faith or profession. That's a problem. And the reason is because it's a lack of discipleship in the churches. If you continue reading this passage, Jesus does not stop with baptism. He goes on to command his disciples to teach these new converts to observe everything he had commanded them. And he ends up assuring them of his presence in their lives. So we must conclude from this that the mission of the church, the great commission for us as individuals and us as a church, is to make disciples. And if we stop at baptism, we really are not following the full mission orders that our king has given us. I told you, this is going to beg us to ask a few other questions. If we are supposed to make disciples, we had better know, what is a disciple of Jesus? 
How are disciples made? How have we been doing at making disciples? How are we specifically going to make disciples here at Hope? Let's take a closer look at these questions. And and I want you to know some of those questions, you're not going to feel like you got a full answer today. Good. Some of those questions I want you to be thinking about, okay? Number one on that, which is actually point number two. You see what I did there? What is a disciple of Jesus? What is a disciple of Jesus? Pastor Bobby Jameson writes this. To be a disciple is to be a student, someone who learns from and imitates his teacher. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are all called to continually learn from him and follow him in every area of life. Practically speaking, this means that we need to realize that discipleship is a lifelong process. In this life, none of us is a finished product. We all need to continually progress as disciples. So the idea of, well, I'm not fully discipled, so I can't disciple someone doesn't really work because it's a lifelong process. We're just all at different points of that. None of us in this room is perfect. I don't know if you do that. If you're perfect, you should leave because we, we will mess you up. No one in this room is perfect. I'll do you one better. No one in the world is perfect. As my stepdad, Larry, says, there was one perfect man ever, and they hung him on a cross 2,000 years ago. All of us who are followers of Christ need to continually grow as followers of Christ. Is a Christian... There would have been a certain point in your life where you first believed the gospel and first submitted to your life, uh, excuse me, first submitted your life to Christ. Listen closely to this, though, because everything else really hinges on this. If you simply made a decision at some point in your life, and your life, your desires, your hopes, your dreams did not ever change in any way, then most likely you may not even be a follower of Christ. All of us from the newest Christians to the oldest of Christians must be growing throughout our whole lives as we follow Christ. It's a lifelong process. When you come to know Christ, um, there's, there's like a bud, as my friend Charles says, maybe a bud of the fruit of the Spirit there. And it needs that discipleship. It needs that being a part of a local church and, and someone coming alongside of you and helping you grow and time in the Word to, to help those things grow and blossom. But there should be a little bud there. As a Christian, we should be continually growing in our relationship with Christ. Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When we become a believer, we become a disciple of Christ. There's not different levels of Christian. There's not like, super Christian disciple and then just like regular Christian and then just like barely saved. 
okay? There's not like different levels, okay? You're in or you're out. Like, that's just the way it is. And we should be counting everything as loss. Everything is rubbish, is trash, next to knowing Jesus. That's a disciple of Jesus. So, if disciples are students, those who know Jesus, who've, who've repented of their sins, trusted and believed the gospel, and are growing in their faith, how are disciples made? How are disciples made? Because Jesus says, go, make disciples. How do we, how do, we do that? What is discipling? Discipling. I'm using the word discipling instead of discipleship for one or two different reasons. But discipling is simply put, helping other people grow closer to Jesus. Discipling is helping someone grow closer to Jesus. Helping someone grow in their relationship with Jesus. Some of you have been doing that with each other. And you maybe didn't realize you were doing it, which is kind of also cool, but... It means growing as a follower of Jesus yourself and helping other people do the same. Now, there are times where that happens and maybe we didn't realize we were doing it. But true discipling, like taking part in the mission of making disciples, it's intentional. You might want to write that down. That's not up on the board, but you might want to write that down. It's intentional. It has to be intentional. We have to stop doing this. Well, I just hope it naturally happens. And we need to be intentional about following what Jesus has said. We need to be making disciples. He told that to a group of his followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, we need to be intentionally discipling other people, which means we need to be intentionally doing stuff to other people to help them grow closer. Now, that's pretty simple, and if you've ever tried it, you know it's not always, not always as simple as it sounds. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want to say something that may seem kind of harsh. And I'll include myself in this, okay? We're so selfish. We're so blasted, focused on our self and what we want and our time and our convenience and what makes us happy and, and thinking about our future... that we don't deny ourselves. And what we've done many times, not always, but many times what we've done is we've taken an opportunity that God has put in front of us to make disciples, to, to disciple someone, to serve someone in some way. And we say, nah, the game is on. 
or nah, I'm going to go do this thing, whatever it is. Now, your other thing, I'm not saying it's bad to watch the game. I'm not saying it's bad to go do whatever it is you're doing. But you guys know, sometimes God puts something in front of us. And, and we just sort of take it for granted. or like, nah, I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, nah, I'm, I'm, no. I had an experience like this. Um, I was trying to decide whether or not to go on a mission trip overseas. I think it was the second time I went to Europe. It might have been when I went to Africa. I can't remember exactly which time it was. But I remember sitting there with my Bible and thinking about it, and I didn't want to go. I did not want to get on that plane. I just knew the plane was going to go down. I was going to die. My kids were going to be fatherless. Like, I just knew it. I was like, I'm not doing it. And I was reminded, I believe by the Lord, I was reminded of the passage, and this is not a, like, please don't take this as a direct exposition of that passage or anything like that the passage where he talks about not putting mother, father before him, family, all that before him. And I was like, okay, I guess I've got to go. I guess I've got to go. And I know you're not supposed to use illustrations where you make yourself the hero, so please understand, I still didn't want to go, and on the plane, I was probably white-knuckled the whole time, okay? If it was the Africa trip, I'd know I was white-knuckled the whole time. That's a whole other time. Whole other story for another time. But we've got to be willing to lose the things that we have, the, the life we have to, and I'm not saying be stupid, I'm not saying be unwise, but we've got to be willing to deny ourselves and our comfort for the Lord and for his mission. John 12, 25 through 26 is going to sound real familiar to what I just read. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The, the point in this is, Jesus' kids, or sorry, Jesus' followers, God's kids, Jesus' followers those who've been adopted in the family of God. Do what God says do. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know how to make it any more simple than that. Um, but, well, we don't like that because we don't want to be told what to do. And the Lord honors those who serve him. So, why make disciples? What is, what is a godly motivation for making disciples? Let's get some godly motivation, because I don't want it to be like, wow, pastor guilted us into, we better get to work, okay? That's not what this is about. This is, I'm asking you the same questions I ask myself. Why make disciples? What's a godly motivation? Well, 
first because of who God is, the holy, sovereign creator, savior, and judge. Because of who God is. Secondly, why make disciples? Because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I've told the story before. I was talking to someone about the Lord, and they had some uh, disagreements about some of my positions on some social issues, which are also moral issues and biblical issues. And they were like, well, I just don't understand why this can't be accepted. And my answer was, I don't have a choice because I serve King Jesus. And so I don't have a choice to my own opinion on that matter. I got to go with what he says. That's submitting to a king and a kingdom. Because of what Christ has done for us, because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life with no sin, was 100% man and 100% God, and gave that life willingly on the cross for me, in my place, for my sin, so I didn't have to experience the wrath and judgment for my sin. He took it on the cross in my place, and he died a death that I deserved, that he did not deserve, and he died my death, and he raised again on the third day by the power of God back to life and by repenting of our sin and believing that good news of the gospel putting our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus Christ alone we can be adopted into the family of God we can be saved from our sin we can spend eternity in heaven instead of hell and because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus we make disciples because we've submitted to the one who gave everything for us. And third, we make disciples as a godly motivation because of who he has made us in Christ, righteous kids of God. When Jesus took our sin on the cross, this thing happens called the great exchange. I talk about it a lot because it's that amazing. He took our sin, our punishment, the wrath of God due for us, and in exchange for those who believe, gives them his right standing before God. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinful state, he sees us as the righteousness of Christ. That's good news. That's incredible news. Because I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, yet we freely get it. That's grace. And that's our motivation for everything we do. Colossians 3, 1 through 13 says this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not 
Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are called to this as those who have been bought out of slavery to sin. And what should be our motivations towards this life? Well, we went through some godly motivations for making disciples. What are some detailed motivations specifically from this packet, passage, sorry, from this passage, why we should be seeking the things that are, of, that are above Jameson points out these detailed motivations from this passage. In verses 1 through 3, we see our death to sin and new life in Christ. In verse 4, our certain hope of glory with Christ. In verse 6, the fact that God hates sin and will punish sin. In verses 9 through 10, our, our new nature in Christ. In verse 12, our, God's electing love for us. And in verse 13, God's forgiveness of our sins. Because of these motivations and the clear commands of Scripture, the mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is this. So if you want to know the mission statement, here it is. The mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is this. The mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by gathering together, growing deep, and going wide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything I've talked about up to this point deals with that mission. We have to have clarity of our mission to make disciples. And if we're truly teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded, that would, of course, include the Great Commission that we are given. Therefore, it's not enough to make disciples. We must make disciples who are in turn making disciples, generation after generation after generation of disciples. Which brings us to vision, or how are we going to accomplish this here? So how are we specifically going to make disciples here? I want to give you a simple process. It was in the mission statement, but a simple process for this. And we've talked about this before. Some of you may remember the three G's. Gather, grow, go. Gather together, grow deep, and go wide. Simplicity is key. We don't need to make it harder than it already is. But I want to show you something with this. This is not simply, this is not simply a vision of what we're going to do, but it's the process by which we will do it, and also how we'll measure where people are at in the process. It's how we move people along in the process of discipleship. It's how we evaluate where people are as we seek to transition them into leadership roles. These will be three areas where we will hope for and expect all of our members eventually to be engaged in. And each of these big three elements of our vision and discipleship process, I expounded upon in separate messages in years past. You're going to be hearing more about them in the next few weeks. But here's a brief overview. Number one, gather together. Gather together, that's worship. Gather, that's what we're doing right now. We're gathered together. 
It's corporate worship on Sunday together as a group, as a group, that's corporate as a group, and personal worship during the week. So this would be upward focus. So if we are doing this with arrows, this would be an up arrow, right? Gather together would be like this, like a, like a, this. It's upward focused. So second, so we've got gather together, then we've got second, grow deeper. Grow deeper. This is being a part of a small group for the purpose of Bible study and fellowship for growth. This is discipleship groups or life groups starting January 18th here, 6.30 p.m. This is being a part of that. This is discipling by following godly examples, one-on-one, life-on-life discipleship. This is everything we do as a body to grow deeper. This is uh, the Hope Deeper classes that I lead from time to time, as well as, like I said, life groups, the women's ministry, men's events. Third is go wide. This is to be serving the community of Dixon as a gospel light. It's being involved in community events as well as organized outreaches of the church. This means that the church might not be involved in whatever community event is going on, but you as an individual Christian can be involved in that event as a part of your personal ministry. This is talking to your neighbors. This is taking meals to the lady across the street who just had a baby. Personal evangelism will play a large part in here as well as simply having a ministry presence in the community of Dixon. And I know we're heading towards a time when we like to wrap up, but I want to give you eight values that are going to move us in this. Think of these as the, the church term that gets thrown around a lot is core value. Um, but I was trying not to use core values because uh, a guy I know is preaching a series on core values in town here right now, and I didn't want it to be like, oh, we're doing the same thing. That's actually the word that's used in like church, uh, church management, church, uh, uh, what do you call it? church planning and different things. So these are values that move us or core to who we are. The first one is we keep the gospel central. We keep the gospel central. We make sure that people, we don't assume someone just knows the gospel. We want to make sure that what we do is based off of the gospel. Second, we persevere in prayer. We persevere in prayer. It's real easy for us to pray really hard when someone is sick or in the hospital, when somebody's going through, loses a job or something, but we need to persevere in prayer. All the time. This value is why I introduced the pastoral prayer over a year ago now. Because I believe we need to be spending more time together in prayer as well as individually in prayer. So we will persevere in prayer. Core value number three, sorry, values that move us, number three. Discipling is everyone's responsibility. Discipling is everyone's responsibility. It is not just for me. If, if it is my job to disciple everyone, not everyone's going to get discipled. <laughs> and Sunday morning is not enough. 
it is important, it is vital that you be a part of the Sunday morning gathering to your growth in the Lord. But if that's the only thing you're getting, it's not enough. You need to be in the word on your own. You need to be praying on your own. You have other contacts with Christians during the week. Discipling is everyone's responsibility. Number four, we hope for the best in one another. Too many times in churches I've seen people get easily offended at something someone says or does and they assume that person meant them ill. So what we're going to do is we're going to hope for the best in everyone. Somebody offends you, we're going to hope the best and, and, and we're going to assume they probably didn't mean to do that and we're going to forgive. We're going to be willing to go to someone and talk about it. And we're going to hope the best in one another. It's so easy for us to immediately, in our minds, go to the worst case scenario because we're all sinners and we know what people are capable of. And if they meant it for harm, yes, we'll, we'll deal with that when we get there. But we're going to hope for the best. Doesn't love hope for the best in all things? Seems like I read something like that somewhere. Number five, we exhibit selfless obedience. This is we take our marching orders from the word of God and our opinions uh, are not given preference over the word of God. Our feelings are not given preference over the word of God. We take the word of God as fact and that's where we get our marching orders. And we don't bend on that. We exhibit selfless obedience to the word of God. Okay, that's not selfless obedience to a person. That's to the word of God. Number six, we will stay focused on the mission. We'll stay focused on the mission. Mission creep is really easy in churches, especially when you start introducing programs. It gets really easy to have mission creep. Number seven, we will say no so that we can say yes. Your great idea that you have for something we should do as a church, might, you might get told no. You might come say, Pastor, there's this great thing. I think we could do this. It'd be a great ministry in this. And we might say, guess what? We're not going to do that right now. Love you. Glad you've got that idea. But it doesn't fit into our mission. And maybe you'd say, well, it does fit into our mission. It may, but there may be an idea that fits better. And this is where we've got to be selfless and hope the best in people and put not our preferences ahead, but the good of the church. We will stay focused on the mission and we say no so that we can say yes. There's some stuff we just won't do. There may be stuff because this church basically, people ask me about this church, I say, Hope Bible Fellowship has been replanted. It's been relaunched, okay? The only thing that is the same at this point is the name and a few people. Between now and three, three and a half years ago. We've got the name, the building, and a few people. And some of the building looks different now, even. We say no so that we can say yes. And number eight is we give generously to support the mission. We give generously to support the mission. Uh, it's a principle in scripture. 
I know a lot of us don't like talking about money and whatnot, um, but you can't get through Scripture without seeing the importance of it. So what are some practical applications we can give you? I hope, what I hope is I hope you're asking a bunch more questions in your brain after this. So if that's going on, then awesome. But let me see if I can give you some practical applications to get you thinking and, and, and challenge you in how, what you can do about this. Number one has two parts. It's the word study. The word study. Number one, study the marks of healthy churches in scripture. A couple years back, I took our men's group through a study of the marks of a healthy church. It was really helpful. And so I want to encourage you to study what are the marks of a healthy church in Scripture. And number two, study your heart and your commitment to the local church here at Hope. Where are you at with that? Point number two of real practical application. Buy in. Buy in. The job of a pastor is to equip the saints for ministry, to proclaim the word, to pray, and to equip the saints for ministry. It was never the intention that the pastor is the one who visits everyone, shares with everyone, counsels everyone, and disciples everyone in the local church. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are a minister. Not a pastor, not a staff member, not an elder, but a minister. You minister to people. Meaning you have a call to make disciples. You have a personal ministry. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time, but you are called to do ministry. No, that, that doesn't mean that you're that does not mean that you're called to be on staff at a church, though maybe for some of you that might mean be someday. But we have to ask ourselves if we're gonna take the commands of God seriously, not just in word, but in deed, in daily, exhausting nose to the grindstone lives are we going to trust God's rule and reign and command and throw ourselves into this work or will we let ourselves just fade into the background and in future generations this will be an apartment building you know that's what happens to a lot of old churches they become apartment buildings or nightclubs The church isn't the building, the church is the people. But when I asked at the beginning, what do you see in the future of our church? What what are your dreams for what our church could be? We have to decide if we're going to, like, are we going to individually buy into this with our lives? Are we going to buy into that mission with our lives? Or are we just going to let, sort of let life happen to us? There's some other practical ways to buy in. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because I've been talking a long time this morning. Other practical ways to buy in. Number one, life groups. Starting January 18th at 6.30 p.m. here. Secondly, or letter B, if you will, Serving in ministry. There are a lot of places to serve in ministry within the life of our church and not just up here playing music or doing announcements. There's welcoming, being a welcomer, working in the coffee nook, being on the worship team, helping with children's ministry, administrative help, 
maintenance, security, being a greeter during worship, outreach, prayer, one-on-one discipleship, and on and on the list goes. So ways you can buy in. Life groups, serving in ministry. Third, invite others to come to church. Statistically, people are most likely to attend our church when they are invited by someone else. If someone invites a friend to church, that person, the last study I heard, was 80% likely to say yes. So if you ask 10 friends to come visit church with you, eight of them will say yes. Statistically, I realize your, your results may vary, okay? But that's the statistic. Letter D, spend time with one another outside of Sunday morning gathering. Get involved in each other's lives. Have your kids play together. Get together for coffee. Go on a walk together. Set a goal when you do that. Next way you can buy in. Download the Hope Bible Fellowship app on your phone or tablet and use it. Use the communication tools that we are going to be activating in there. Be active in one another's lives. Pay attention to what's going on in the church, to events that are happening, and pray deeply for the church and the things that are going on. We've got an annual meeting where we're going to talk about the budget and some other things on the 29th. You can see that in the app. And, oh, look, there's a meeting. Let's be praying for that. And you can pray deeply for that here for the next three weeks. You can use it also as a tool to tell people, hey, I'd like you to come visit my church. You can download our app and check it out. Here it is. And that's going to continually be updated and changing. And then lastly, and, and I talked about this, give generously and obediently to the Lord. I know no one really likes talking about it, but God uses the generosity of his people to provide for the ministries of his church. That is how this thing is designed to work. And we have provided uh, a few different ways, not several, but a few different ways for you to be able to do that. We have our offering box out there. You can donate on Sundays. We have online giving, which is functional still on the website, but also through the Hope Bible Fellowship app. There's a give tab and it goes right into our bank account. Okay, And that gets included by AJ in your year-end giving as well. But that's how this is designed to work. We can make a choice. And I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. We can decide if we're going to go, okay, here's how God designed things to work. Here's how disciples are made. Here's how we're supposed to be as a church. Here's what a healthy church looks like. And we can decide this. Will we say yes and amen, let's do that, and I'm going to jump in and do it? Or will we say, nah, I'm, 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 really, I'm really busy right now. I've got a lot of other stuff going on. And the thing about that is, that doesn't just hamper someone else, but it actually is, is destructive in your own life too. When we, when we refuse what God has clearly put in front of us, your life doesn't get better from there. <laughs> you know? 
We don't grow more by telling God no. <laughs> so that's the challenge today. Will we jump in? Will we buy in? I've given you all kinds of ways for that to happen. Or will we tell God no? Would you stand up? And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a final song together. I am excited to see all of you here. I am so excited for the future of this church and some of the cool stuff we've got coming along. Again, we'll be talking about later. But um, I'm just really excited you're here and on this ride along with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this day. God, I pray that you would use the, the, the message of your word to... Uh, center our hearts on you and on the mission that you've given to us as a church and that you would help us as individuals to put away everything that hinders us. Number one, in our relationship with you. And let us grow deeply in our love and our service of you in our worship, in our devotion to you. And I pray that that would be reflected in how we think and feel and act towards your church. God, the church is your plan for reaching the world and there is no plan B. And I pray that we would be sold out to the mission that you've laid before us. I pray that I would be sold out to the mission that you've laid before us. Jesus, we need you because without you, none of this even matters. Be big here, Jesus. May I decrease and you increase and do your work in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's sing again together.